I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Saturday, February 18th, 2023, and this is episode 206 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie, and today is my mother's birthday, so happy birthday, mom. So this week's best thing are events. I was invited to a couple of really exciting events later on this year, in addition to all the ones that are coming up. Uh, so if you're listening to this in real time and happen to be in the Maryland area, February 21st, I'll be in Bowie, Maryland at the Bowie Branch Library for Pathway to Becoming a Published Author. Then February 25th online, it's the uh, Indie Author Forum. And just a reminder, if you'd like to go to the Indie Author Forum where I'll be the opening keynote speaker, you can register with 50% off with the promo code FRIEND. Link in the show notes. The same weekend is Virtuous Con, which I highly recommend. Online Comic-Con type event. I'll be on a panel on Sunday, but the whole weekend should be amazing. In March, I'll be at Mahogany Books in Washington, D.C., along with authors Veronica G. Henry and Nicole Glover. So it is a Black woman fantasy author spectacular. I'm super excited about that. At the end of March, I'll be in New York. Then there's a Polycon in Northern Virginia, an Imaginarium Book Festival in D.C. in April and May. And then in June, I'll be in the Dallas area at InkersCon. All of this is on my calendar. It's a lot. This is only the first half of the year. I've only told you till June. I've only actually booked till June. There was one other one that I'm waiting on confirmation, so I won't bore you with an additional event. So yeah, I'm, I'll be out and about <laughs> and online also. <laughs> so yeah, check my calendar, lpenelope.com slash calendar if you are interested. So my writing update. So for The God of Silent Tears, which is the current manuscript, it's moving right along. It's actually going pretty well. I'm figuring out the story as I go. So even though I have my synopsis that I'm writing writing towards, it's still lots of great discoveries. It feels like I have a nice roadmap, but I'm still sort of just walking into the dark, even though I know where I'm going. But when I look down at the paragraph that I'm supposed to write that day, and I have to decide how to approach it, it's never quite the way I thought, which is part of the wonderful magic of writing. And it's why I love revision so much more than first drafts. Um, I am doing, so this week was about more new words and it was a, went a little more slowly than I had wanted. I'm still at 27,000 words as of today. And I don't think I'll be writing at all this weekend. A, I need a little bit of a break. I'm feeling a little burnt out and I have so much more to do before I can rest. And B, we have uh, some friends coming into town. So all day tomorrow is probably going to be not working. So I'm working today, but I don't think I'm going to write today. We'll see what happens. But so far, I think it'll be a good thing to have this weekend break. At any rate, I got to research some interesting things. I was looking up cast iron stoves in the 1890s and what kind of fish do you fish for in Alabama in the rivers? <laughs> Just for sprinkling sauce, because I, I decided that there's going to be more flashbacks than I knew about previously, but not they're not actually flashbacks, they're more like visions from the past. And that's being incorporated. So I have to just have little glimpses of you go back in time from 1935 <laughs> to the 1890s. And she was in a kitchen and I just, what kind of stoves did they have? What kind of stove would this person have who was not rich, but not especially poor? I guess they would be just middle class. So cast iron stoves, coal burning, Probably coal burning instead of wood burning, which is my initial thought, but I don't actually mention that in the book. But I needed to know. 
So the next scene I have to write is going to be an interesting tidbit that I discovered during the initial research was that there was a community of Filipino fishermen in Louisiana starting in the late 1700s. I had no idea. But there were several, basically all Filipino towns that were a lot of them, or the two of them that I've researched have been on stilts, like in the water. So either on the bayou, in a river. And I decided I was going to incorporate that into the book. And it works, it fits, it makes sense. Um, and it's also a cool like cultural touch touchstone my sister-in-law is Filipina, and so my niece is half Filipina. And it's always nice just to incorporate other cultures and make the world more diverse than I even thought it was. So learning about that history and how they got there, what happened to them. There's like a historical society website that I will link to that I, I just discovered this week. I knew about these towns, and I went back to do additional research because I'm about to write the scene. And so, yeah, it's just cool to be able to bring in other things that I didn't know, and I bet a lot of people didn't know and didn't realize about who makes up America and how long various different kinds of Americans have been here. I think that's important to include, even in fiction, especially historical fiction. Another thing that I did was work on naming this magic system. And I've been going back and forth for the past couple of weeks. I must have done a global search and replace on certain words three or four or maybe five times as I've changed the names. And we're at the point where I'm not even sure what name I'm using. So as I'm writing, I'm constantly going back and forth to the Story Bible document for this magic system. And I also did, uh, well, I wrote up the lesson on naming and languages for the world building course that I am working on that it will be announcing in the next episode. So make sure to stay tuned. But I kind of reviewed this essay that I had written on fantasy naming and languages, and then also my own process for Ursinger Chronicles specifically, and then other books where I've done more interesting names. Like I don't, every book doesn't require like a whole philosophy of naming, but epic fantasy definitely does. And this story does too, because of what names can mean. Names do a lot of world building on their own, if you think about how, like, what things are called, why they're called that. I once lived in a town called Sakasana, New Jersey, and it's just one of the many, many places that have Native American names. And you think, okay, it's named that way because I don't know if, I don't remember, I don't know if I ever knew if that was like a tribe or a nation or just a word in a language of the Native Americans who lived there. But that was the name of the town. There was also Lenape Valley. My mom taught at Lenape Valley High School and things like that. So like hundreds, thousands, I don't know how many, you know, modern day places are still retain those names. Why did the colonists who came in decide to keep those names? Whereas other things are named New Amsterdam, New York, all the other Anglo names and then other kinds of names where people named things after themselves. But they decided in certain places we're just going to call it what the people who were here before us called it. And so looking back across the country, across the world, how people decide to name things says something about that culture and that history and the language, all of that. So I think about that when I'm naming things sometimes. Sometimes I'm just going more quickly. If it's a shorter book, if it's, I mean, obviously with modern like things that happen in contemporary times, I may not be concerned so much about the name, but especially in my invented worlds. I'm thinking about why it's called that. 
And I'll have reasons that will never make it onto the pages of the book. So no one but me will ever know. And if I don't write it down, I probably won't even remember why I decided to call something what I did. But it generally has some kind of reason. So with this magic system in The God of Silent Tears, because I'm dealing with a fantasy world that is being created that is related to sort of the slave trade and the diaspora and taking people from a bunch of different language traditions and ethnic groups and tribes and, you know, cultures and combining them together, which is what happened during the slave trade, you create new words. And it can be a Creole kind of thing where you're taking words from many different languages and mixing with English. And then they all figure out how to speak to each other in this Creole or pidgin kind of tongue. So I'm trying to represent that in here without ever explicitly saying that's what I'm doing. And I've gone back and forth with made-up names that sound like they're from this region of the world without actually being a Yoruba word or a Twi word or some other language. And so that means when I come up with a made-up word, I look it up in these different languages to try to make sure that I'm not saying anything in one of those languages that I don't intend, because there are some other words that are definitely Yoruba words that I'm using. And This is still a work in progress because I haven't, I'm not sure if I'm settled on the names or not, because it is a little bit more complicated. And so I have this magic system. It's got several parts to it. You need a talisman and then there's an invocation. There's different parts that come into play in making the magic happen and they all have a name. And I wanted those names to be invented. I didn't want to use a real word from a real language. But like I said, there are other words and other names for places that are from real West African languages. And I'm combining them all and trying to give the idea that this is a place that was made up of a bunch of different people who came here and they have created a new culture in the way that all across the African diaspora, we did, you know? And so that's the the reason for it. And then I was going to use a real word for one of the names and then I kind of pulled back on that and I changed it and I didn't change it very much. And I'm like, did I change it enough that it's, so that it's a new word, even though you can see where I got it from? And it gets a little bit probably more complicated than it needs to, definitely more complicated than it needs to be. But it's important to me and it also is important that the words have a have a good sound to them when I say them. I think about the audiobook narrator who is going to be reading them and does this roll off the tongue? Does it sound appropriate for its meaning in the text? And even if I am using a real word and changing the meaning, can I communicate that effectively? Because that happens in real language, you know, and that happens in real life. We'll have a word that meant something hundreds of years ago or in old English or even, you know, closer in closer periods of time and common usage has shifted the meaning. There's a linguistics podcast that I love called Lexicon Valley. And it's always talking about that and how words shift and change and we get borrowed words. And so, yeah, that's just part of the lesson I was doing and part of my own thought processes. I was changing and changing again and changing for a third time some of these names for the parts of this magic system until I get them to sound right and feel right. And I have comfort level with them. And sometimes it comes really easy. I mean, Earth Song from Earthsinger Chronicles, as the name of the magic system, was easy. Like, it didn't have to have all of these 
callbacks because it was a completely second world fantasy that wasn't based on anything but my own imagination. Other books, other things will come really easy. I just think of something and I was like, oh, that sounds right. That feels right. So it can be a whole academic exercise or it can be a vibe. And there has to be room for both of those things. And there is. If I had gotten the right vibe or if I maybe had trusted it, I think initially I got something and then I started to overthink it perhaps. And then it took on a life of its own. So I will make a decision sometime soon and stop project replacing the same words over and over until I have no idea what I've called anything. I also found a good tool, wiktionary.org. It is a wiki dictionary, but it will also give you the definition of a single word from different languages. So I put in my made up word just to make sure it's not a curse word in Japanese or something. I mean, sometimes you can't help it, but if I could help it, I would like to. So yeah, I put that word in and it gave me different meanings. And now it's like, oh, well, this mean, this word that I was going to use means water in Indonesian. And that's cool. It has nothing to do with my story, but like, hey, but mostly I'm using it to check to make sure I'm not being offensive with like the main name of the the magic system in some language that I didn't realize. Pretty useful tidbit. I also Google my main character names to make sure, you know, it's not the name of some famous serial killer or some some author somewhere that I didn't intend to name a character after and people will assume that I did. I don't do it 100% of the time, but I try to remember to to do that. And just being intentional about things is always a good idea whenever possible. I'm sure there's plenty of things that I forget and mistakes that I've made that I, I never intended, but like, I try. In other writing, as I was preparing the final lessons for the course, I I didn't write out any of the so the, the first six, which are basically up now. But as I mentioned last week, I got a teleprompter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this will be much faster if I know what I'm saying ahead of time. Like I always have an outline and I know I have a plan, but I do find it better for me to sort of speak extemporaneously as opposed to reading. That's why I don't write the podcast out. Like it wouldn't be as much fun if I was just reading something that I wrote because I'd have to write it first and I can speak much faster than I can write. But for these final ones where I felt like it would be better and it would be more organized if I wrote it out first and I can speak it when I record it through the teleprompter, I'm excited to do that. So I dictated the lessons. Because when I do nonfiction, I generally dictate it. The column that I'm writing for Galaxy's Edge or whenever I'm asked to write an essay for a publication, I usually start by dictating it so I can get my thoughts out, similar to how I do it in the podcast. So I just use Microsoft Word. The dictation function is actually pretty good. But, you know, punctuation, capitalization, none of that happens. Sometimes I will speak the periods for some reason, it doesn't seem to understand my question marks. It writes question mark instead of turning it into the actual punctuation. So I was like, I'm sure there's an AI out there that can save me a little time in cleaning up my punctuation capitalization from this dictation. So I opened up ChatGPT and I was like, please clean up this text that I dictated. And then I pasted in the text and it worked pretty good. Like I gave it a B minus. So it would only do chunks of about two pages at one and a half space. So I tried to, I had dictated like five or six pages and I tried to put the whole thing in and it, you know, did the first part. So then I would put it in chunks and that worked better. So it cut out 
I think I had, let's say I had written, you know, 3000 words. What it spat back out to me was like 2,500 words. So it cleaned up my text a little too much. Some things are like said colloquially, and I wanted to say that way. And it's not going to be completely sharp and super tight because I'm speaking. But for the most part, the B minus level of cleanup, it saved me the effort of having to add in all of the punctuation and capitalization and put the bullet points in when I was making lists of things. It was really smart. It did clean up some of my longer, more circuitous sentences. But yeah, it was doing a little too much. Because so, I was then I would go back and refer to what I actually said to my original dictated document and the cleaned up version. And I was like, oh no, you cut some things out that I actually wanted in there. But yeah, that would be a great usage for it because it's my content and it gave me the cleaning that I wanted without too much editorialization. It did editorialize a little bit and that is something to be careful of because it is an AI and it's still early days. Maybe in a year or two, it'll just say it better than me. But that is a a usage that I feel like ethically good about and just something cool to try out. And speaking of world building, we saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania last night. It was not good. I did not enjoy that movie. Usually I find entertainment value in most of those kinds of big budget superhero kind of movies, but this one was just not my cup of tea. And A, I'm not a big fan of the wild, wacky world kind of genre or tropes. I don't know what that is. So if you've seen the trailer, you know that Ant-Man and the Wasp and all of the other characters, the five people, um, go into the quantum realm, which is this subatomic universe within ours that exists inside subatomic space. I don't know if that's even a real thing. So it was basically like a concept artist or a thousand concept artists got together and drew the craziest things they could think of and got them made into a movie. But world building wise, nothing made any sense. You have all of these beings and there is a being with like a flashlight head that shoots fire beams, but he can talk. And there's like a blob of goo who was very endearing and (laughs) entertaining. And then there's humans or human appearing people and all kinds of other alien looking creatures. And they all live together and there's a bar scene. It's like the cantina scene, right? But I don't know where their food comes from in the quantum realm or what the daily life is like. We see animals and there's like a tribe of people that ride these animals. And I don't know, there's a lot there, but none of it makes any sense. And none of it felt cohesive and felt like it was thought about in any way. And it won't matter because it's Marvel and this movie will make a kajillion dollars anyway. But I just can't help but thinking that when when you can tell the filmmakers do care and when they have put thought into it or a storyteller cares, then you get so much more out of it. Part of the reason this movie was bad, in my opinion, was that I didn't care about anything or anybody on screen. And, you know, Ant-Man as a character, the first movie was great. You know, you, you endeared to him. Um, you cared about his troubles and his problems, but in this movie, mm, you didn't. I'm sure that multiple levels are to blame for that, the script writing, the direction. I was focusing on the world building because I was like, huh? 
the actual ants were the highlight. For some people, Jonathan Majors as Kang will be the highlight. He was definitely bright. (laughs) He was shining brightly in this role. I'll say that. I will say no more. But yeah, it would be fun to sort of break down world building in these kinds of big movies. Um, Take something like Stardust, which I love that movie. It's based on the Neil Gaiman. Is it a book or a comic book? I don't know. I never read it. But it's got Claire Danes and Charlie Cox from Daredevil fame. And it's delightful. And it's got really good world building also. I mean, I guess it's simpler because it's more of a medieval-ish fantasy world that is we've seen before. But things feel motivated and feel grounded and feel like these are people that have lives and I can understand their food is coming from a place that grows it. (laughs) Maybe not the best example because it is so much more familiar. Even Guardians of the Galaxy, when they show their sort of alien worlds, that world building feels more accessible and understandable, even if we're getting little glimpses of it, than what was happening in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So it can be done, even in sort of a, oh, we're Look at our concept art come to life. It's so cool and different and creative. I don't know why I don't, I don't find that compelling personally, but it looked great. There were things that were very visually appealing about it. I will say that. So that is it for me for this week. My goals for the coming week are to keep writing, get uh, 15,000 words if I can, and just keep moving forward. I've got core stuff to finish up and T's to cross and eyes to dot. I always say eyes to cross and T's to dot. And that'll be ready to go very soon. Very excited about that. And yeah, that's it. I've got the event this week or the three events this week. So we'll see how it all goes. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the FitNotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.